MSW Media. The Daily Beans is brought to you today by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. Today, Oathkeeper Joshua James has pled guilty to seditious conspiracy and obstructing an official proceeding and is cooperating with the Department of Justice. Germany has seized a Russian oligarch's superyacht. Merrick Garland announces a klepto-captured task force at Maine Justice. An update on the John Eastman emails as a keyword search list is filed in court. A judge allows the New York Attorney General suit against the NRA to move forward, but denies her motion to dissolve the organization. And Russia has taken control of the city of Kherson in Ukraine. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Just a couple more days of abridged episodes while I'm on vacation here. I'll be back in full swing with the return of Dana Goldberg, a deeper dive into headlines and the good news this Monday. Also, look for the final episode of the MSW Book Club series on the book Corruptible with the author Brian Kloss answering your submitted questions this Sunday, along with an episode of Muller She Wrote. Uh, And given what's happening in Europe, I'll also be re-airing our limited series of the Muller Report Volume 1, that's the Russia Interference Volume, on the MSW feed. That's the Muller She Wrote feed. So lots going on. There is a lot of breaking news today, big breaking news, least of all the fact that we can officially call what happened on January 6th sedition because Oathkeeper Joshua James has pled guilty to seditious conspiracy, 18 U.S. Code 2384. He also pled guilty to, you guessed it, obstructing an official proceeding, 18 U.S. Code 1512 C2. Thank you very much. He is cooperating with the government with regards to his interactions with Stuart Rhodes. That's the Oathkeeper pleading not guilty to the sedition charges. But James also had contact with Roger Stone the morning of the seditious attack on the Capitol and is reported to have been in contact with the Willard War Room. I listened to part of that hearing today and followed along on Marcy Wheeler's feed on Twitter, which I've tweeted out. If you're not following her yet, I recommend it. Her and Scott McFarlane have two of the best feeds for details about the Department of Justice 1-6 investigation. Also big news today, the key search terms were released in a court filing for John Eastman's emails on the Chapman University server, and they give us some clues about what the 1-6 committee is looking for. Those keywords include the names of 14 GOP lawmakers, including, but not limited to, Louis Gohmert, Gosar, Mo Brooks, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Jim Jordan, Kennedy and Biggs, and Perry. Other keywords include Barr, Meadows, McEnany, and Bannon, and some more, too. And I'll be speaking shortly with Hugo Lowell at The Guardian about further details. And on Thursday, the committee is slated to obtain documents related to a December 2020 lawsuit filed by Rep. Louis Gohmert against then-Vice President Mike Pence, which is something that Jamie Raskin referred to as a key part of this investigation. Those documents, now held by the National Archives, are expected to describe Trump White House involvement in the lawsuit, in which Gohmert attempted to force Pence 
to reveal whether he would single-handedly try to overturn the election, as Trump was demanding. Of course, Pence remained quiet about his intentions to the last possible moment, and reports suggest Trump was supportive of Gohmert's ratcheting up the pressure on the then-vice president. Also in the news today, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the launch of Task Force Klepto Capture, which I hope they make into a television show, because I would watch the shit out of that. This is an interagency law enforcement task force dedicated to enforcing the sweeping sanctions, exporting restrictions, and economic countermeasures that the U.S. has imposed along with allies and partners in response to Russia's unprovoked military invasion of Ukraine. Task Force Klepto Capture will ensure the full effect of these actions, which have been designated and designed to isolate Russia from global markets and impose serious costs for this unjustified act of war by targeting the crimes of Russian officials, government-aligned elites, and those who aid or conceal their unlawful conduct. The mission of this task force will include investigating and prosecuting violations of new and future sanctions imposed in response to the Ukraine invasion, as well as sanctions imposed for prior instances of Russian aggression and corruption. Hmm. Combating unlawful efforts to undermine restrictions taken against Russian financial institutions, including the prosecution of those who try to evade know-your-customer and anti-money laundering measures. Targeting the efforts to use cryptocurrency to evade U.S. sanctions, launder proceeds of foreign corruption, or evade U.S. responses to Russian military aggression, and using civil and criminal asset forfeiture authorities to seize assets belonging to sanctioned individuals or assets identified as the proceeds of unlawful conduct. And speaking of proceeds of unlawful conduct, data from Marine Traffic, which is a global intelligence group, shows yachts owned by oligarchs are on the move, including aluminum magnet Oleg Deripaska's $65 million Clio and oil executive Vagit Alekperov's $80 million Galactica Supernova. Speaking of yachts, authorities in Germany have seized Russian oligarch Alicia Usmanov's 500-foot mega-yacht, the Dilbar, as part of the package of sanctions against the Kremlin and its supporters. The ship was taken by authorities in the North German port of Hamburg on Wednesday. The mega-yacht is estimated to be worth $600 million. I hope they turn it into a floating Ukrainian refugee home. Usmanov, 68, is an iron and steel magnet, estimated to be worth $16 billion. He also is close with Russian President Vladimir Putin. We should just call him Russian dictator Vladimir Putin and has allegedly functioned as the strongman's business advisor. All right, with that out of the way, I have a brief break that we're going to take and then I'll be back on the other side with Hugo Lowell of The Guardian to discuss what's going on with the 1-6 committee and this list of key search words and perhaps a new filing that might have some pretty big news in it. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Today's Beans comes to you thanks to Athletic Greens, a company that specializes in daily nutrition and health. You might find it hard to stick to healthy eating habits when you have a busy schedule like I do, or when you're intermittently fasting like I do, or if you're paleo like I am. I have huge gaps in my nutrition that I need to fill, especially at my age, and Athletic Greens has helped. This delicious and convenient nutritional supplement provides 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, a probiotic, and a green superfood blend. It's very convenient. It's an easy habit to pick up, and it replaces like 15 different things I used to have to take every day. And when I take AG1 in the morning before the gym, I'm more focused and have more energy and more productive throughout the day. AG1 features tasty ingredients that are also bioavailable 
in one convenient drink, making it a very easy substitute for, like like I said, all those multiple supplements and pills. It also fits keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and gluten-free lifestyles. There's less than one gram of sugar in AG1. It's delicious. There's no GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial ingredients. It's, it's just, it's delicious and awesome. My favorite thing about Athletic Greens and AG1 is they update research. They update their product as the science changes. It's continuously improved based on the latest research, which has resulted in 53 improvements in the past decade and counting. I highly recommend AG1. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D. One-year supply of vitamin D. And five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health. Fill in those gaps in your nutrition and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. As promised, I am speaking with Hugo Lowell from The Guardian. Hello, Hugo. Hello, hello. All right. So a uh, roller coaster of a day. First of all, you put out a story about some key list like search terms for John Eastman's emails that included Cruz and Howley and Biggs and Gosar I, and Brooks. I went over that a little bit earlier in the show and that that was showing that there might be connections with Meadows and and some things. But also today, we were waiting to hear some news of a, a court filing by the 1-6 committee in, in response to what's going on in the Eastman case. Talk a little bit about, about what unfolded over the day. Yeah, so I thought it was going to be a pretty straightforward day when I ran the story this morning about the search terms. And as you say, I think it was a really interesting look at what the committee is trying to get out of Eastman. This, this list of keywords, at least according to a source that I spoke to, said the search terms reflect the committee's investigative focus at the moment, what they're trying to get out of its investigation. And it, you know, it, it does mention all these lawmakers, including Republican members of Congress that we might not have heard about before, including people like Cynthia Lamas. So I thought that was interesting. And it also includes the names of Pat Cipollone, as well as variations of spellings of his name so that they account for any kind of typos. So I thought, again, that was interesting, as well as Mark Meadows and his personal email address. So that was what the, the committee has been aiming to get and prioritize from Eastman. That was the morning. Sometime in the afternoon, I was told by my source on the committee that the committee was going to file a response to Eastman's claim that he couldn't turn over around 11,000 documents that he, is, that he is withholding on the basis of attorney-client privilege and attorney work product. And I was told it was going to be a really big deal and it was going to make all sorts of revelations and new invest- new details that has come out in the investigation. In the afternoon, I was told that we might be able to get a readout of some of the things that was going to be in there. That came and went and we never got any sort of readout. I then spoke to the chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson, who told me that one of the things that he expected to be referenced in the filing was this thing about a crime fraud exception that the committee intended to argue that they, they had evidence of a potential crime, that, that Eastman was involved in a potential crime, and they would use that to argue the attorney-client privilege was destroyed, among other, among other arguments. Mm, right, because when, when I talked to you earlier, I was like, well, if you need help going through any of this or whatever, let me know. And I was like, I, I wondered if it was that privilege was waived because of, of third party revelations, like maybe uh, discussing something with Trump and copying Mark Meadows. Right. And, and, and therefore involving a third party waves attorney client privilege. So I was like, key search term waived. Ha ha ha. You know, and um, I had no idea that it was going to include anything about 
potential. Uh, and this is, you know, obviously we don't know because this thing has been filed under seal that it would be a crime fraud exception or at least a reference to. Right. And look, and, and you know, I, I should say, I don't know for a fact that there is a crime fraud exception argument. And as you say, because it's under seal, but Thompson said there was at least a reference to it. And I, I originally thought, as you did, that the probably the most realistic avenue for them to uh, argue that the attorney-client privilege was broken was because there was a third party, a non-lawyer, who might have been involved in conversations or copied it on an email chain, or who knew about conversations with people like Trump if, if the court decided that Eastman was genuinely retained as a lawyer for Trump and that attorney-client privilege uh, existed. And so this has been a really a, you know, roller coaster day, and it's just gone 8 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we still have no idea what, what is actually in this court filing because uh, we were hoping to get a public version of this, presumably with redactions, and that has yet to materialize. Yeah, and it seems as though, I mean, if the, if the information you were receiving earlier in the day was, hey, this whole thing's coming out, big revelations, that, that sometime, you know, and this is speculative, obviously, but that sometime over the course of the day, they changed their mind about filing it publicly and decided to put it under seal. And of course, again, that's speculation, but I mean, the facts fit. Yeah, look, it's possible that they dis- that this, this is now under seal because, you know, there's some confidential information relating to Eastman or the select committee that the select committee wants to, wants to protect, so as to protect the integrity of its investigation, right? That's possible. But it's also possible that they do have evidence that Eastman was involved in a crime. The Washington Post, incidentally, is reporting that they were told by their sources that the committee believes Eastman was pressuring people to violate the Electoral Count Act. Now, I don't know if that in itself is a crime because it would be a crime if there was a penalty to that. And I'm not exactly sure if there is a penalty to that, but it raises the other possibility that if that's indeed what he was doing, then maybe his actions amount to some sort of conspiracy, and that would be a crime. And so it's not exactly clear what laws he may or may not have violated, but there is stuff in this court filing that is so sensitive that the committee does not want to make public at this stage in, the, in its investigation. And I think that in and of itself is significant and suggests the committee has you know, more uh, more evidence up its sleeve. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that kind of that could be, like you said, conspiracy. It could be obstructing an officer, not like a police officer, but an officer, Mike Pence officer from discharging their official duties. It could be uh, what uh, Barb McQuaid has put together in in her 27 right. uh, page mock-up charge, which is 371, 18 U.S. Code 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States. And of course, the, what you, you know, we've been talking about forever, 1512C2, which is obstructing an official proceeding. But again, the, the fact that it's filed under seal is of in and of itself big news. Yeah, I and mean, we didn't expect this. We didn't, like, the, there was no yeah. indication this morning that it would be under seal. And I don't know what the process is with the committee in terms of filing court documents under seal or not under seal, but it was a huge surprise, not just to me, but to my colleagues. And by the sounds of it, to some people on the committee that it was under seal when when the, they did meet their deadline for the 7 p.m. cutoff to, to, to submit their motion to oppose Eastman's attorney client privilege claims. But the fact that it was sealed came as a surprise to a lot of people. 
Yeah, and it could be as simple as, you know, they wanted to go through and redact all the things for all the reasons that you redact stuff and ran out of time and had to get it in. And so they just filed the whole thing under seal. I mean, you know, I mean, it could be a million things, but it's it's very interesting. I'm still told that we may get a public version of this. And so that leads me to suspect that there are things in there that are that is that genuinely cannot be made public or they don't want to make public at this time. If it and you know Again, this is pure speculation, but let's let's. I I don't think it's the case that they like they ran out of time or something because mm. then they wouldn't make a public version of this with redactions. True. I don't know. True. And so and so I I think there there is stuff in there in this filing that the committee really does not want to make public for whatever reason. But you know we put. We, we we take that information and separately. I have sep- I have this information from from Benny Thompson himself that there is a reference to some sort of crime uh, fraud exception with respect to Eastman. And so I don't know if it's too much to put those two together and triangulate and to say, you know, one of the arguments they're advancing is, you know, a crime fraud exception or whether they just reference it or I don't, I don't know what the situation is, but it strikes me as significant. Yeah, and also wondering if there's been communication about this with the Department of Justice and, and perhaps it's something on the justice side. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, I know. I'll, I mean, again, all speculation. I just want to be very clear. This is all uh, speculation. One, one final question for you, though. In the, in the key search terms and in your piece that you put out, Bill Barr was in there. He resigned in December, what, like 23rd or something like that? And you and I have discussed the... Dominion seizing Dominion voting machines memos and executive orders, draft executive orders that also included appointing Sidney Powell as special counsel, which is only something an attorney general can do. That's the only thing I could think of. Why else would Barr be mentioned or be of a key interest, do you think, to the committee with regards to Eastman emails? Yeah, it's a really good question. And all of this suggests to me. Uh, and again, you know, this is speculative, but it does suggest to me like they are looking at some sort of conspiracy with respect to Eastman. Uh, and you know, I've kind of previously reported that they're investigating uh, whether there was there was conspiracy, uh, some sort of unlawful conspiracy that that Trump was involved in. But if you look at these terms uh, in the list, it does suggest that the committee thinks Eastman was in contact with the different what the what sources described him as centers of gravity. And so, you know, you have all the Trumps and the White House people like, you know, Trump and Cipollone and Eric Hirschman and Pat Philbin and these White House councils. And then again, as you say, you have these references to Barr and Dominion and Smartmatic. Now, interesting, like Powell is not, Powell's name does not come up in this list. But if they're trying to connect some dots between, you know, something like the draft executive order that Powell drew up in advance of like that December 18 meeting and Eastman was somehow involved in that because the terms in there include Smartmatic and Dominion. So clearly they think he was in communication with Giuliani and, 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 and efforts to overturn the election through potential seizing of voter machines or, or kind of elements in, in, in that respect. Then it shows how the committee is trying to connect the dots between those different buckets. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is. And and of course, we know that the, it wasn't just the Department of Homeland Security and the Pentagon that was 
that they sought to try to get to seize the voting machines uh, or the U.S. Marshal, uh, but but also the Department of Justice. And, and perhaps at that time, that's Barr was still the attorney general. It's, it's, it's hard to piece together without seeing the actual filing. <laughs> mm. Well, it's, it will also be interesting when this all comes out, kind of what the committee has, has managed to find with the search terms, right? The reason why my source said they fixated on these search terms is because, the, you know, it, it's it's speculative on their part as well because they don't have the records yet. They only have eight thousand or so documents. There, they want they want more, but they suspect terms like these will crop crop up in his emails and his document records, and they want him to prioritize these terms. And that suggests again that you know they think Eastman was at the center of what is increasingly looking like a web of contacts across the federal government. And it all comes back to Eastman. Yeah. Well, any, any time frame that they gave you for the, uh, this to be public? Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that we are, we are hoping to get some sort of public version of the filing by the end of the day. Uh, today? It's, it's, it's what I'm told. I mean, I, who knows? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? Yeah. yeah, right. Who knows? All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Everybody follow Hugo Lowell and The Guardian on Twitter so that when this drops, you know, you'll hear about it. So thank you. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow with another abridged version of The Beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. Also, vote blue over Q. I've been AG and them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>